Hey, Grand Geeks, this is our first panel ever that we are posting on our website that you guys can listen to. This is Reinventing Monsters, a panel that Michael Tanner had created, and uh, Michael helps me with a bunch of panels. I just wanted to give him a shout out and also say that WonderCon was amazing, and thank you to the WonderCon people and those of you who came to this panel. This is a really exciting panel and a really, really exciting experience that we had at uh, WonderCon. Hopefully we'll bring this to more conventions because this was an unbelievable treat. So I hope you enjoy. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Reinventing Monsters. Uh, I am your moderator, Michael Tanner. Um, and I have my little preamble to read here while we set up the, the short video. It's a four-minute video, so it'll loop multiple times during this panel. Um, just, it's just a little background slideshow. Um, Let's see. <clears throat> From the classic universal monsters to Japanese kaiju to more modern horror icons, characters with long histories have been touched by many hands and have been through many different and been seen through many different lenses. Some endeavors and reinventions have proven more successful than others. Today, we'll talk about our favorite monsters and what they mean to us and the world around us. Uh, let's just go down the row of panelists here. If you please, just introduce yourself and say a little bit about your work. My name is Russell Nolte. I'm a dark fantasy author. My most popular book is Cthulhu is Hard to Spell. It's 35 stories about the gods and monsters of Lovecraft, reimagining stories for new generations. I also do a bunch of dark fantasy work with demons and angels and mythology, Greek and Roman and Norse, mostly. Um, my name is Cecil Castellucci. Um, I write uh, young adult novels and comic books. I'm currently working on The Female Furies, uh, which is um, in Jack Kirby's fourth world over at DC Comics. Um, and I've, uh, you know, I've explored in the YA. You always end up doing like a little, a little bit of vampire, a little bit of, uh, you know, mythology and stuff. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's what I do. <laughs> Hi, I'm uh, Fuzzy Joseph. I am a artist writer for The War and Hope, which is an apocalyptic story, um, biblical apocalyptic story, where uh, mankind's trying to survive while angels and demons are fighting all around them, and uh, it's a blast. I enjoy it. Hi, I'm David Farrow's Precht. Uh, my first book is an existentialist zombie book. I find existentialism fascinating and monsters strange. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, I'm Nick Doan. I'm the writer and creator of the Monster Elementary series of comic books. Uh, I'm also the host of a podcast called Monsters on a Chalkboard, where my co-host and I sit and watch old horror movies and talk about them. All right. So staying with you, Nick, um, what was your first monster that you like really identified with or crushed on or fanned after? Uh, for me, it was, it was really the creature from the Black Lagoon. And it's always like hard to think of why, because it was just fascinating to look at him and see what he did, and the way that hand just fit over the whole face. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then same question, moving back down the line, David. I love Godzilla, but really, I'm a big fan of any monsters that are silly and can be made fun of, because uh, any way that we can actually like remove the scary part and kind of laugh at it or recognize what it actually is or kind of like, and like do an analysis of it is, is a lot more interesting to me. But Godzilla. Godzilla is crazy. Uh, mine's, I mentioned mine's book is a biblical apocalyptic view. So demons um, being brought up in the church at a young age. Um, being scared of that possibility of demons being around every corner or wanting to take my soul really captured my, my attention with that. 
So that one, that, yeah, just the idea that it could be real. Yeah, I think I'll echo Godzilla because, you know, I used to, my, when we watch it after school, my brother would cry every day and be like, why don't they understand Godzilla? Right. Why are they always trying to kill him? Yeah. But I think also um, it was probably like the Adams Family and the Munsters, mm -hmm. you know, just sort of like that sort of global, global monsters being misfits um, living together that I think probably imprinted on me first. And that's kind of a good smattering. It's like mm -hmm. a smorgasbord. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm a Catholic, so Satan. <laughs> uh, he, I thought about this question a lot. And I was like, the first, the first, the first. And it has to be like hearing Bible stories when I was a kid and being like, I don't know, man. That guy just seems like he has a really hard job. And people don't <laughs> understand him nearly enough. All right. So have any, have any of you been able to kind of like work with that character or that monster type or an analog for it and like would you would you do with it in your own work uh i my main book is about a uh, girl who gets sick of living during the apocalypse she just sets out to hell to kill the devil you find out that maybe she's wasn't his fault in at the end so yes most of my books are about hell and demons and and gods and mythology and specifically my roman catholic roots yeah, and for me with the uh, Monster Elementary series, I really started with the, the basic archetypes of the universal monsters, so I got to reinvent them and make them children and put them in an elementary school where all the normal human kids hated them. And um, my creature from the Black Lagoon character, Gilda, is one of the funnest characters to write because she's just free-spirited and carefree and um, very different from the actual creature. Yeah, I use... Um demons in my story and, and angels and effectively boogeymen really that, that stem from all that, that fear of what we don't know what's going on around us. Um, and then the, the use of those things as tools to control people, to cause groups to fear the unknown and, and not want to venture outside the safety of their little bubble uh, because there's a boogeyman out there that's wanting to get them. Um, I have a novel called The Year of the Beasts, which is a hybrid novel. It's alternating chapters of prose and graphic novel. And the prose is, you know, a girl and the summer and her sister and their jealousy and the boys they like. And the, um, the comics is a girl who's turned into a Medusa. And all of her friends have turned into mythological creatures and monsters. And she doesn't know why she's not a girl anymore. She's trying to become a girl again. And that, um, that I used as a sort of allegory for how we feel like monsters sometimes. Sometimes, you know, um, it's, uh, you know, like if you read the prose, you get one story. If you read the comics, you get one story. But if you read it together, you get the whole story. Mm -hmm. And so that's not quite the monsters. I mean, I have done like a vampire thing, but like short story. But um, but I feel like that's that was my prob biggest exploration of sort of those kind of mythological monsters. Medusa's crazy awesome, though. Yeah, she's amazing. Well, I feel like, you know, yeah. we, when you have grief or trauma, like yeah. we were talking about earlier, yeah, totally. and, you know, you feel like people turn to stone around you because they don't know what to say. Yeah. And so, um, so I felt like that was a really good, you know, metaphor for that. Yeah. I'm always a big fan of any kind of monster that is also a hero. Because, like, Godzilla is a monster, but also the, the hero of most of the movies. And, like, the, the original idea was that, like, Godzilla was, like, a representation of, like, what happened to Japan after the bombings, like, uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So it was, like, an existentialist story about, like, what is Japan now? There's this looming nuclear disaster that happened and could happen again at any moment. What does that mean for a huge swath of people? And that's 
both terrifying but also like liberating in some ways. And I, I love that idea that like something can, can be something tinged with terror and t tinged with like that monsterness but then very quickly become like powerful and helpful and like a heroic piece. I think that's really, really neat. Well, that's my favorite part of like where we live in a, the culture now. Yeah. Because everybody kind of understands what the mo what monsters are mm -hmm. and who the bad guys are in these stories. Yeah. And so people can say that they've heard every story before, but and you can say that as a negative that there's nothing new to be said, but mm. the thing that I like about reimagining monsters and villains and all the other things is like Medusa specifically is the bad guy in all the Greek stories that yeah. she's represented in, mm -hmm. but like if you actually pull it back into current connotations, like you don't have any context for her. Yeah. Everyone says that she's bad. And well, it's about female rage and female, yeah. you know, it's about people, people placing, uh -huh. you know, their feelings about what a woman out of control is like, you yeah. know, so it, so actually you're right. Like I think in a time, in a day and age like this, like Medusa is ready to be front and center, yeah. you know, and have her origin story told in a much different way. She's the main character of my new 10 book series that I'm developing. That's so awesome. It's, which is also like, she was just existing and people just like kept coming to her house and she's like, what are you doing? Well, Leave, dragons, me alone. <laughs> Leave me alone. Leave me alone. I'm just trying to live my life. But dragons are in the same way in a lot of yeah. respects where it's like, they just like, some of them did like destroy towns, but other times you read stories and it's like this dragon just wanted to chill out at the top of this mountain, like just leave him alone. Like what would you do if an intruder just came into your house and tried to steal all of your gold? Like yeah, what like would you smog. do if you were small? <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean that's really a creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. Is the, the creature is a sympathetic monster right out the gate because yeah. it's literally just chilling in its lagoon. With these, and these humans show up and start literally like drugging his water. And like, I don't know if, if you guys seen it, but the big. Spoiler well, alert. No, yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> they start throwing like sleeping drugs into the water to try to capture him. Yeah. He's just, he's literally, he's just swimming around. Yeah. So yeah, like, we, we so we're kind of touching on as the, the reinvention of the monster, mm -hmm. where even like in Greek mythology, where. Medusa is a villain in all these stories. There's still, depending on the, the the myth, there is like a tragic backstory to her. So it's we tend to think of the reinvention of being something very modern and like thinking like, oh, what's the origins of this creature and like how can we make it sympathetic? Literally, these these myths that are thousands of years old, like it, the kernel is there and it yeah. did exist. Yeah, but I mean, and look at like you know all of these sort of great. Um, you know, fractured fairy tales that they do now, right? Like, so you look at a musical like Wicked, which is telling the story from the Wicked Witch of the West's point of view, right? Or you look at like the movie Maleficent, you know, where, um, and I think, I think maybe that's where we are now in stories as well, is that all of us as audience and consumers and of literature are, um, we're, we're sophisticated enough that we can kind of swing with the gray areas about what a character is. It doesn't have to be like, this is the good guy and this is the bad guy or good girl and bad girl and that's, that's the end of it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it, there's, a, there's a lot more room for complexity and nuance. We, we welcome the two sides to every story. Or yeah. the three sure. sides to every yeah. story. Yeah. 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 It's magnificent. I mean, this could be also like about reinventing villains because I think that's why villains are so compelling because mm. a good villain is like, Oh, I totally see his side. Like he did it in the he like he he's not right in do or she is not right in the actions that she took yeah. necessarily to to uh, that she took. But I see how given what happened in their life, 
how they would have come to the conclusion that they came to. Like uh, Harry Potter and Voldemort is a great example. Of yeah. like a, uh, you know, if Harry Potter uh, like had the backstory of Voldemort, he could have easily been mm -hmm. like the bad guy. Yep. Um, and the same thing with these with, with monsters, like you end up sympathizing with them because sure, or like Charles Xavier and Magneto, mm -hmm. right? They're coming, right. they're they're yeah. attacking the same problem from yeah. a completely different angle, and they both yeah. think that they're doing the heroic thing. Yeah. Or Killmonger from Black Panther. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, yeah. That that character, like absolutely. For like the majority of the movie, I'm like, he is so right, my God. Yeah. And then like, like we and then we should go kill everybody. I'm like, no, oh. <laughs> one step too far. Yeah, so but, like, I, but I, I think I, that's what makes a great monster, right? Yeah. Like if we're talking villain or monster, mm -hmm. is that like you can almost kind of get with them. You're absolutely. also like, you're like, yeah, I, I get it, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I think about uh, like Lovecraft. I do the lot of Lovecraft and whatever. I'm not going to go into the horribleness of like Lovecraft's past, sure. but like one of the things you do when you read a lot of them is you think about like the mythology and the, this book's a lot about the mythology of Lovecraft mm. and the gods and how like they weren't really necessarily good or bad and neither were Greek gods and monsters good or bad like they had their own agenda that they wanted to carry out and sometimes that meant helping out people and then in the next myth they would be against those same people yeah. that you wanted to, to help and I think one of the great things about monsters and reimagining the reimagination of them is 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 thinking about like the blue and orange axis of of uh, of morality where it's like you don't even know like there's good and bad and there's blue the blue and orange is like you don't even you can't even comprehend what is happening they just they live outside of what we can imagine mm -hmm. and heroes have always been very very well defined against as like humanity like humanity's always been like the hero in most of these stories mm -hmm. and monsters allow you to explore a different set of moral gray area that most of the heroes never were able to have the complexity to um, inhabit. Superman Lex Luthor, right? Luthor wants to be a hero, he wants to do good, good things, it's just yeah. that gray area. Mm. All right, so um, now like we've, we're already there, kind of free form conversation. <laughs> so we've hit, we've hit like uh, uh, Medusa, a little bit of Creature of the Black Lagoon. Um, let's talk about vampires. Um, so the sort of original vampire stories are very much about like um, they're either like a, there's a sexual undertone to it like sex. Yeah, <laughs> Camilla is one of the first vampire stories. It's about a female mm -hmm. vampire. It's very much lesbian subtext. Mm -hmm. You've got um, you know Dracula. Obviously, like sexy vampires have kind of existed um, forever. But interesting, like Nosferatu. Um, is very much a fear of immigration. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's Count Orlock, who is somewhere in this, uh, yeah. this slideshow, uh, is not sexy for, yeah. for most of us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> free to be you and me. Um, but like Orlock represents a fear of immigration. Like yeah. there's, there's literally when he arrives in London by boat, the first image is rats coming off the, uh, mm -hmm. off the ship that they represent disease. Um, and then we get very quickly like the turn to in vampires in movie being um, under undercurrents of sex. Yeah. Um, and so vampires as a monster in popular culture have been very sexualized, but to different degrees and meaning different things. Um, 
if any of the panelists have any more thoughts on vampires in pop culture. Is there a parallel there? Like, because, I mean, the fear of immigration, like, oftentimes then it turns into, like, fetishization. Anyone? Well, no? All right. I was going to say also, like, fear of infection. You yeah. Know? Like, um, you know, with vampires. Um, you know, as a young adult writer um, whose first book came out the same month as Twilight, um, <laughs> you can... You can deduce for yourself which book, you know, did well that <laughs> that year. Um, uh, I, it, you know, there was a there was a big push for um, a lot of romantic vampire stories after that, and I was asked to be in um, in two vampire anthologies mm. about that. Uh, and uh, one of them, it was supposed to be only romantic you know, sort of stories, right? Where it was like, you know, this sort of long, smoldery, like, romantic thing. And and I handed in a, a story that was a love story. It was a vampire and a teenage girl, and they fell madly in love. And then he kills her. <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, kills her. Like, yeah. dead, you know? Yeah. And the editor was like, what are you doing? You're not... This is a romantic. I'm like, well, it was romantic. And he sure. did really love her. He's sure. just a vampire. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what happens when you fall in love with a vampire. You die. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and uh, she wasn't so happy about that. Um, uh, and then the other exploration that I had was it was sort of um, two friends. One, you know, a, a, a vampire that was going to night school because mm. she died in the 70s. And then this girl who had a disease where she couldn't go out into, you know, she was dying and she couldn't go out into the sun. And, you know, but she was um, dying. And so then they both decide to give each other what they wanted most in the world. You know, like one to make her live and not die, you know, live forever. And the other one to kill her. And at the end, they both don't. They both don't do it because they love their friend too much. And that idea of like, you know, sort of like a timeless sort of tragic love. Mm. Yeah, Nick has a really cool what? vampire story in my fir- our first <laughs> anthology, yeah. Monsters and Other Scary Things, I won't say because most some people are other 18. It's true. You guys should check out that anthology. You should talk about <laughs> vampires and your interpretation yep. of them. And um, I, yeah, I kind of, I don't know, that was a, a different different take on vampires where I kind of... I don't know. What would you say about that? <laughs> it's okay. It's not like you wrote it or anything. <laughs> I, uh, the thing I, I wish that there was more of in vampires was this idea of immortality and mm. what it... Like, I don't think there's... I'm, I'm sorry for anybody who is younger than 36, but I have a hard time hanging out with people who are even in their 20s, let alone teens, and I just cannot imagine a world where anybody who was 500 years old would hang out with anybody who was like considerably younger than them. Like 200 years old? Right, even 200 <laughs> years old. Yeah. But like, this is a thing that you know is not explored because, I mean, in the 80s, sort of vampires became a stand-in for the AIDS ep- epidemic and yeah. like the yeah. infection and yeah. all of that That's, stuff. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that train sort of informed a lot of what happened in the 90s and 2000s and um, as like it's like the anyway uh, the thing that I would love to see in more vampire things if anyone would write it would be like vampires who are bored 
Well, of, it like, is like what universe. we do in the dark, right? Isn't yeah, that like about shadows, like yeah. yeah, or the shadows? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean right. that is like that to me seems like the epitome of exactly what you're talking about, right. where they're just like. Yeah, but I want more. This is like that, that's the one big yeah. example. Yeah. But like I, I, I think that we get with any monster reimagining, we go through the phases, right? Where like mm-hmm. everything was Twilight and everything was sparkly vampires, and then everything was. Um, and then everything before, and then everything was like interview with the vampire, and like the and like the and and uh, the, those big like gothic vampires. And uh, I'm waiting for the time where we have more uh, what we of what we do in the shadows, because if that becomes really successful, maybe we'll have like finally. I think I think it is right because it's coming out. Yeah, they're doing more with it. Yeah, they're doing a show. I feel like that's always the precursor to right. then we'll get a lot. Right. We'll get more vampires as generational gaps. Yeah. The one, yeah, like I, actually, the one that I really love that was really beautiful is a movie called Let Me In with right yeah. 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 yeah, Chloe Chloe Moretz plays yeah. a vampire that was turned at a young age, mm-hmm. and she meets this boy that's the age she was when she was turned, yeah. and they have this beautiful relationship where they both need each other because mm-hmm. he needs someone to protect him from he's viciously bullied, yeah. and she needs someone to be his you know his, his, the daytime savior, mm-hmm. you know someone to go out and help her exist in this world and it's a beautiful story and yeah. she's you know oh, 100 or whatever years old but these are these two people that really need each other and there's a lot of arrested development in that too yeah like she she does not make any growth she just kind of remains the same yeah which is bizarre but fascinating but the thing i like about uh let the right one in or let mm. me in um, is that it's all, it is a beautiful story but it's ultimately a very tragic story yeah because yeah. you see um I forget the little boy's name. Boy. Let's call him Boy, because we're all forgetful. We're, <laughs> like, it's a, the, the movie opens with the young vampire, like, with an aged familiar who mm. is, he basically murders people for yeah. her. Yeah. And that's just, you're seeing the end of that story, mm-hmm. but you're, it's a seller's, like, that story's just going to repeat itself. And we don't know how many times that story has repeated itself before yeah. we've gotten there. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's this beautiful story where you're like, but you know it ends horribly mm-hmm. for, the, for the human. Um, and like, I, I, one thing I really like is I don't know if the vampire is true right. or if she's just manipulating because right. she needs a human. So I think that's, yeah. that's these, these complex levels like in, that's in those movies that are very, very good. Yeah. Um, that's what I like about like there, there's complexity is like inherent in monsters and the ability to imprint anything onto so I have this book called Pixie Dust it's about a pixie who uh, is murdered comes back as a zombie and then uh, she starts to see that the monster she's been hunting her whole life like may, or may not be the bad guys but just she was told they were the bad guys and you really can't tell that story of like America and South America because mm-hmm. like suddenly it becomes a political politicized yeah. story yeah. but if you tell it about like a monster hunter who becomes a monster and starts seeing that the other is not everything that they that everything that they've been told suddenly you have this milieu to like tell a story that is much more complex than uh, than than the story you could tell if you use just humans there's also something really cool about um, when creators are able to, to do like creator-owned stuff or when they actually have full reign to do whatever they kind of want with a character. Because instead of it just being like the same like A, B, like good, bad, you end up 
feeling compassion for your characters. Like so in, in uh, I, my book Tethered, the two main characters are jerks. Like they're ho horrible horrible people. But like I had as I'm writing it, I had to sympathize for them or, and with them and I had to understand like where they were coming from and write from that. Uh, and the story just changed drastically because it could have just been like these are horrible zombies and they're doing horrible things as opposed to these are horrible zombies who had terrible lives because one guy's mom died and the other's mom was absent. Like this, or like a dad was abusive or what have you. Like that, that like other element that informs the story and makes it a little more human. And that's when, to me, monster stories become far more fascinating. Like Creature of the Black Lagoon, like somebody coming into your crib and just like poisoning you is more interesting than just random creature coming into a village and stealing someone. The, the neat thing with vampires is that they can be such a wonderful template for us to work with because they're established. Sure. Um, they, they exist in all sorts of different cultures and, and around the world. Yeah. And so by taking that idea of this ageless monster, um, boogeyman type thing, and that you can then put the characteristics that you want to move your story along. Um, and it's... It's yeah. all about choosing that right vessel to move your, your characters. Yeah, it's like that, um, I, I think, with, like, changelings or, like, you know, character, like a werewolf or, you mm -hmm. know, um, a war, be war beast, you know. Yeah. That they're timeless and that, oh, you know, yeah. that they're good templates. Mm -hmm. Isn't it funny how, like, monsters are sort of more human than humans can be in yes. stories? Yeah. Because humans are terrible people. We're the worst monster yeah. of all, really. Yeah. yeah. That's like when you go to the zoo and, like, you know, they have, like, all that exhibit about all these, like, scary, terrible animals. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is a mirror and it's like, mankind, yeah. you yeah. know? Yeah. What a twist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm always scared. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all right, so vampires. We got vampires down. Um, <laughs> it's just a checklist, guys. We're just yeah, going to motor through as many monsters as we would. Uh, we kind of brought up werewolves. Um, we want to talk about werewolves? Does anyone have good thoughts about werewolves? I, I love, like, um, you know, I, I've been talking with some lady friends of mine, mm. and, like, about, you know, I know that I, I haven't seen, I'm scared of scary movies, so I haven't seen, I've heard tale of a lot of scary movies, but um, mm. that there's that movie Ginger Snaps mm -hmm. um, about, you know, sort of equating, you know, um, like, uh, you know, sort of, the, like, changing into, you know, that, and I just think, mm. like, as me and my lady friends are moving, you know, some of them are moving towards you know, an older age, it's like, ah, oh, we're becoming werewolves, you know, like, mm -hmm. because, you know, you're changing again, and that that's also just naturally part of the human condition, where we move from childhood to adolescence, where our bodies are betraying us, and, mm. um, you know, hair and oils or things are <laughs> emerging from us, like, we're become sort of, you know, transformed, mm. um, and then the same when we become old, old people. Yeah. Does it become easier to write those stories than to write, like, about our own bodies failing? Like, if we were just writing a story about, like, a woman going through menopause yeah. and, like, struggling, like, would people buy it as opposed to a werewolf story that's an allegory? Well, I think that there would be a lot of adult literary, you sure. know, sure. <laughs> people that yeah, would love yeah. to have a book like that. Totally. And I'm sure that there are 12 million of them. But, yeah, I think that, I think that the advantage of sort of fantastical and, mm -hmm. you know, speculative mm -hmm. fiction is that you can sort of go to a much more visceral place. Yeah. 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 I think most of us have had the point in our lives where we just wanted to rip somebody's head off. 
Like just it, whether you're driving in LA or <laughs> <laughs> I teach high school, so there's yeah. that too. Um, standing in line but, for coffee. We, I don't know. Stand, right. <laughs> or haven't had your coffee yet. Exactly. I you need know, it. Being able to flip that switch and be like, you know what, I just wish I could go beast mode and yeah. destroy yeah. everything. Well, that's what my friend uh, Neo has a book uh, where about uh, Red Riding Hood, who is a werewolf under who else can become a werewolf. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, and the, 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 the werewolf allegory there is that the werewolf is uh, like the rage, like the, the mm, like yeah. hulking, like sort of like a hulk hulking, is the embodiment yeah. of rage. Yeah. Like werewolves are the embodiment of like this id, and like we've all had that moment where we're like out of control. I mean, maybe not everyone. Maybe someone is super calm. For me, sometimes, despite myself, I like am like, why am I so angry? Like why I can almost like uncontrollably, mm. um, and that is. I think to me the most interesting example of like how werewolves are used that I've heard, except I really like this allegory of that you were talking about also. Yeah, I always think of werewolves as a metaphor for the loss of control and yeah. particularly I think of it in terms of addiction because it's, you know, when you've gone too far, you've lost control, you don't remember what happened but you wake up in the right. gutter with your clothes torn up. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I think it's also really yeah. interesting with werewolves too that like you know um, there's this idea of the full moon that it's mm -hmm. like no matter what you do it's this sort of thing that's inside of you that you, no matter how hard you try to control mm. it yeah. you know coming there's out there's nothing you can there's do there's nothing you can do about it the moon is going to become full and yeah, you yeah. are going to become a wolf and yeah. I find that really interesting too because it's just so scary and sad you know yeah that's what's really scary about it is that you know what's coming and you can't do anything I wonder what it would be like if it was like the other way around. Like we're just always the monster and then the moon comes and we're like, ah, at last, I'm just a person today. <laughs> I know David and I were talking uh, yesterday with someone about yeah. werewolves and as the allegory and kind of myth building out of mental illness mm -hmm. from when people didn't understand why someone could be completely normal right. one day and yeah. then something happens yeah. and they just, they're not the same person anymore. Yeah. That's a Bipolar great, disorder. That's yeah. Great, yeah. And like, so it's, it's these real things happen in mm -hmm. people's lives and people create myths and create stories to try to explain them. And you know, like the werewolf story may really come from just in trying to explain why this person went crazy. Madness, yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, this panel's only been halfway through and I've had like about 15 ideas for books. Yes. <laughs> Same. Yeah. <laughs> Other monsters? Other monsters? Uh, Questions about monsters from other people? Do you think werewolf started as just like an excuse? Like you, some guy or woman did something terrible? They're like, oh crap, you know. Um, I think it's I turned into a wolf last night. I, I, I turned into a werewolf and I yeah. eat people. No, I don't I, know I how like, I ripped that I feel shirt. like I, I remember reading about wasn't there like a story? It's like in mm. Bulgaria or something. There's like, yeah. there was like a, yeah, there was like, there was like, it's like a famous story and there was like a trial and. Yeah. Am I Some, crazy? I, I remember something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, yeah. yeah something like that. Right. Yeah. That's like the origin. That's like the origin story of like werewolves. Yeah, the, the werewolf hunter finds out it's his dad. Gets, goes out and gets attacked and he chops the, the creature's hand off. Hmm. No, 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 no. I mean, like, story. no, no. I'm oh. talking about like a real. There was a real trial about yeah. a man in Bulgaria in like 1766 sure. or something. Oh, there were a lot of, like yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. everything comes out of some real thing. Because like every like there have been people throughout history who have been accused of being vampires, which is right. wild. Are you saying the wrestler Gangrel wasn't really a vampire? What? <laughs> is that a wrestling reference? Yes. <laughs> all right. All right. We did it. We did it. We, we worked our one wrestling reference into each panel. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, in the 90s WWE Attitude era, era, there was a wrestler named Gangrel, and he was a vampire. But they never called it blood. They would just call it red viscous fluid. <laughs> Didn't they call it bloodbath? Did they? I think they oh. did. All right. Bum, well, bum, bum, bum. All right, this guy Shows knows. you. Yeah. Um, all right, so new monster. Frankenstein. Frankenstein? Who likes Frankenstein? Yeah. All right. Who's a fan of the recent motion pictures about Frankenstein? Like Victor Frankenstein, I Frankenstein. I enjoyed the hell out of Victor Frankenstein. Is the, the, Not because it was good. Yeah. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> so fair. who liked the book, This Monstrous Thing? Because I have it. Nobody? Man, I just read this book and I want to talk about how much I didn't like it with somebody. Huh? Do you have it? You have what? Who's oh, read the original that Mary Shelley's amazing. Frankenstein? Yeah. All right, that's good. So Frankenstein um, has gone through a lot of uh, iterations over the uh, over the decades. Mm-hmm. Um, like, are we? We're over a century. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's late 1700s. Yeah. Two hundred um, years. Couple. Just a couple. Just a couple. It's a couple. Centuries. A couple of centuries. I don't know. <laughs> yes. The 1990s are the late 1900s now, which is <gasps> blows my mind. Um, like, uh, let's, uh, Nick, because you, you have a Frankie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Francesca. Analog. Yeah. <laughs> She's Francesca, adorable. Yeah. We might as well just go through all of the monsters on your thing next. <laughs> right. like, just look at you his cover. Talk now you know why you're on this panel. You've got something for everything. So tell us, tell us about your Frankenstein. Frankenstein is, I don't know, it's, there's a lot about that contained rage, and it's a lot about you know, not knowing exactly who you are at all because you're so many different people. Mm. You know what I mean? You're, you're pieced together, so what are you really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to think of a more tragic figure than the werewolf and, and monsters, oh. and I, I, I was like, well, Frankenstein, clearly, yeah. because yeah. he's vilified for literally existing. Like, yeah. he doesn't want to exist, which I totally, as a, I feel that deep in my soul. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just, he's just trying to, like, figure out who he is, and he's alive for very short amount of time before mm-hmm. people in pitchforks come and get him. It has to, it's just like, it, it's so sad. But he has yeah. a monologue where he like pities people. Right. Right? Which is incredible because mm-hmm. like, the, the book is amazing. Mary Scheller like had such compassion for this character and like, it, it, instead of it being the story about this horrible thing, it was what we have, as humanity, have done and projected onto this thing that was just trying to live its life. It comes back to what terrible people we are. Yeah, yeah. We're awful, everybody. Well, no, it's also, it's, it's sort of like, no. it's sort of like what we birth into the world, yes. right? You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Frankenstein and his, his child, Frankenstein's yeah. monster, mm-hmm. right? And it's, yeah, we, he created that. And yeah. that definitely could go into something being a childhood trauma yeah. or mm-hmm. something where we trust our parents and then something yeah. terrible happens and we're then vilified for our reactions because of those. And especially mental health or, is such a 
Sorry, that's not this panel, but yeah, or like children could have sadness yeah. for what their parents have done, Most you right. know, and so it makes yeah. sense that Frankenstein would, yeah. you know, sort of have a beautiful monologue about about, you know, mm -hmm. sort of feeling sad for humanity. Yeah, the know? collection yeah. of our traumas as well. Yeah, it's kind of also like a uh, allegory for abuse, right? Because yep. like you're a, you're a child, and the father, like, throws him to the wolves yeah. because like people don't like him, and he can't teach the monster to do the thing that the monster is supposed to do. So instead of taking responsibility for it, he just like throws like the whole, all, all sorts of people to like destroy this thing that he created. Yeah. And then eventually it became more about the terror of science. Like what will science turn us into? Right. Well, yeah, I mean, just think about like, I mean, that Frankenstein story now, like when you think about CRISPR technology and, yeah. you know, things like that, yeah, or, definitely. you know, you start reading these amazing science fiction um, stories where it's like, and then I had genetically fish eyes in my, in yeah. my eyeballs and yeah. like, you know, cat toes or I don't know, what, I don't know what you can do with CRISPR, but like, yeah. you know, um, that, 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 you know, for human enhancement and mm -hmm. then what is that? It, it once again comes back down to that question that we were talking about at the beginning where we kind of find our humanity yeah. through monst monstrousness. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that in the, the novel, uh, Frankenstein does have a monologue and he yeah. has a talking, thinking mm -hmm. uh, character. But in the, when they start doing the movie adaptations, yeah. he's, you yeah. know, it's uh, fire bad. Yeah. We, we don't um, want to empathize. Like, back yeah. then, they didn't want to empathize with, yeah. they wanted yeah. the scary. But but we empathize so much with Boris Karloff, yeah, because he was so <laughs> humanistic in those films. And like uh, the end of Bride of Frankenstein yeah. is wonderful. Like when the castle's literally crumbling around them, yeah. and he has the bride, and he says, "We belong dead," mm -hmm. and then like they they get crushed by the collapsing castle. Yeah, um, it's just like this great like deeply empathic moment. Yeah. It also kind of, I mean, just as like a, a little bit of a side, side street that I'm going on, but like, you know, when you think of um, Frankenstein just sort of wanting to be accepted, you know, um, for who he is and how he is a thinking person thing, yeah, yeah. It, Frankenstein in the world, um, monster, what it, the creature, right? That's what they sure. call him, right? Yeah. Um, but then I think of like, you know, um, like children's fairy tales like Pinocchio or something mm. where it's, you know, sort of somebody that just wants to, you know, Pinocchio just wanting to be a boy. And it's slightly different, but I feel like they're sort of in the same in the same kind of book, sh you know, shelf in terms yeah. of like wanting to be something so that they can be accepted for mm -hmm. who they are. Mm hmm. Maybe we should end on a happy note. Is there like a happy one? Is there like a happy reimagining oh. that we can fairies or Maybe. like um. angels or? Uh, uh, well, no, it's, uh, it's not, <laughs> not finished with Frankenstein yet. So we've got Frankenstein kind of, um, we spend a lot of time when he's a classic monster, Boris yeah. Karloff. Yeah. Um, and then we get kind of, I think the 60s, at that point, the Universal Monsters, when we got to the 60s, the yeah. monsters were kiddie fair. Like, mm -hmm. they weren't serious. They were, yeah. they were meant for, you know, Saturday afternoon matinee and, like, Saturday afternoon, like, TV watching. And then we get kind of in the 70s where we get some, like, more serious, dark takes. Yeah. Like, um, uh, anyone ever see the, the Frankenstein with Sting? 
where he plays Dr. Frankenstein. Oh, you mean The Bride? Yeah, The Bride. Oh my Uh, God, that is an unbelievable film. Watch that movie. Anyone over 18, watch that movie. Um, And then we kind of, we get more, we're like, okay, that's going to be taken seriously again. Uh, But then we get very much kind of now, like with uh, I, Frankenstein, or even that... um, there's a short-lived TV series called Frankenstein where essentially they, Frankenstein has become a superhero. Um, yeah. And we're kind of actually in a period where a lot of these monsters are being framed as superheroes. Because yep. like, the entire dark universe was just like, we're going to do the monsters, but they're going to be a super team like mm-hmm. the Avengers. Yeah. So we've kind of lost, like, the, it's now kind of a trend chasing yeah. Uh, to, for the latest reinvention of these creatures. Well, we've all seen ourselves as the misfit at one point in our lives. Mm-hmm. And, like, with Frankenstein, you, you, you could also look at it as, like, adolescence or, like, being in middle school and, like, questioning your own humanity and, like, yeah. am I real, am I not? And, like, there's, there's a lot to... There's a lot of ground to, to work with there, too. I'll say, I don't like when they're portrayed as heroes. What's that? I don't like when they're portrayed as heroes. I don't... Like, I, I hmm. like... I think heroes are almost by nature uh, less complicated than villains, mm. and I like my I like when they're the protagonist mm. of the story, mm-hmm. but not necessarily in the traditional hero archetype, mm. because I want complication and complexity, and like mm. monsters give you the ability to like have this complex identity and play off this hero who is almost the blank slate mm. of, of like just goodness. Except I think once again, like, I think we're at a point now in storytelling where we're sort of this, like, postmodern, modern storytelling place where, you know, heroes are, are, are not that, you know, sort of old school, traditional blank, blank slate. I think that heroes are a lot more complicated Mm -hmm. now, um, and that they, that they have the opportunity to be sort of equally good and bad at the same time. Yeah. All right, we've got about 15 minutes left. Do people have questions? Do people have topics they want to bring I'm going to add to that, because I think about a show like Penny Dreadful or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, let's Back do, up uh, your point, Cecil. X-Men Back question. up your point. <laughs> oh, that movie was beautiful. Yep. So, yeah. That yeah. was beautiful. Our thought is it was beautiful. No, I think I I think as a spiritual successor to Creature from the Black Lagoon, um, I think it works really well. Um, I think it goes. It it is a horror movie. Mm -hmm. I think people should really accept that um, and not be afraid to call it a horror movie because literally it like eats the head off a cat. Um, Like it's it it, it's a horror movie and it won Best Picture, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't usually agree with the Best Picture nominations, but the the winner. But I agreed with that one. I think it's the first one in like 20 years. I was like, yes, you got the right one finally. We have a question right here in the front. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Good question. Based on your experience of writing monster books, what is your favorite monster? Great question. Mm-hmm. It's still Satan. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. That's a good answer. Uh, anyone? I'm, I'm really big into serial killers right now. Um, <laughs> That's Get probably me my, off this my panel. favorite monster. Just, uh, just because, I mean, like, it could be anybody. Yeah. And um, that, the whole thing of we're the, we're the most vile monster there is. Mm. Um, and that they can hide, hide in plain sight, which is nuts. 
Uh, just two weeks ago, I went by the Golden State Killer's house where they arrested him. It was amazing. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm not agreeing with what he did, but that he got caught is awesome. Um, but no, there's because there's something. There's something wrong with each and every one of us to a degree, and that I don't know. Just it's within arm's reach away is pretty scary. I'm really interested in, uh, you know, maybe the stories that I'm going to tell in the future. And um, I'll, I'll tell you two creatures that are really interesting to me are mermaids because they are both use the siren call, mm. but also um, sort of have this, like you think of Ariel and like the little mermaid and like, you know, can have a niceness to them. So that duality. And I would say the same thing about fairies, um, where there are good, you know, dark fairies and, and light fairies. And um, for me, like the two fairy courts are something that's very interesting as well. Um, actually, I feel like I would just repeat what Fuzzy said because I've, I've written some serial killer stories and I've always felt like those are the worst, truest monsters and especially because they could be in this room. Yep, right. Like, you, oh. you want to talk about... Ready to get me out oh, of this room. The clown raises <laughs> their hand. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we're not getting out of here. <laughs> but I mean, like, like vampires and werewolves, they're scary metaphorically. Serial killers are for real scary. Like, lock your doors. Yeah, right? Yeah. I like writing about zombies because uh, they're a lot of fun to write about yeah. because you can kind of make up whatever rules you want. They can be fun or they can be horrifying. See, I think the thing that's really difficult for me, all the other monsters, there's something I can kind of get behind. Sure. But zombies, they do all that shuffling. Yeah. And also, you can't really... I have not figured out how to make a zombie sexy, except I guess that warm, warm hearts. Eyes. Yeah, except oh, for warm yeah. hearts. That was the only time I understood zombie. Warm, warm bodies. bodies. Yeah. Same thing. His heart was warm. His heart was warm. Um, I want to do something with the blob. That'd be fun. Uh, this guy over here was first, and we'll get to you guys. So you there? So Mm-hmm. Yeah, the design of Count Orlock is absolutely based on horrific d caricatures of, yep. of Eastern European Jews coming to yep. England during that time. Um, and there's always been a demonization of, of Jewish people. And it's it, like there was there were vampires. There's been like Jews have tails. We breathe fire. All kinds of like that. That myth just keeps in horns. Yeah. But you can't see the horns, but they're there. Okay. But like the idea that it just like keeps morphing and keeps changing, it, like that fear of the other, that fear of like what that person might be is uh, frustrating. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, green shirt glasses. You mean like reimagining like uh, like universal? You reimagining like uh, something that they? I don't, I don't find them as compelling personally because mm. like they're owned by one studio and that studio then remakes it. Mm. I I prefer reading things that are like completely new that are in public domain just because then it can be reimagined in a thousand different ways. Mm. I mean, I think it'd be super cool. Um, I mean, you know, those are not stories that in particular, like, uh, attract me. But, like, you know, uh, it's not, like, a s monster. But, like, doing Kirby's the, um, Apocalypse and Dark Side and Female Furies, but, like, doing it through a completely new lens. Or when I did Shade the Changing Man mm. as Shade the Changing Girl, I think, I think like, any kind of, like, modern thing, you can bring something new to it, especially as we diversify the voices that are in the, in the room and telling the stories. Mm -hmm.
Big time. And I have been given the wrap it up uh, sign. So please, uh, panelists, please uh, plug your stuff. Tell tell our lovely audience where they can find you uh, down on the show floor, or if they can't find you down on the show floor. Uh, let's start with Nick and move this way. Uh, so you can find me on the show floor in the small press area at booth number 65. You can find me online at monsterelementary.com or on Facebook and uh, Twitter. And... Uh, what else am I supposed to say? I forgot. Uh, no, you're oh, good. good. Oh, I'm good. All right. Thank you. I'm David again. Uh, you can find me next to Mike. Uh, we're, like, if you find the, the pillar that's C15, uh, we're splitting a table because he's a gem. Uh, and you can buy my book, Tethered, uh, and it's about existentialism and zombies. And find me on Twitter, David Precht. Uh, Not I'm the German David Precht. Sorry, God. No, I'm sorry. You God. Had that was too early. Go ahead. You good? Yeah. All right. And then... No, <laughs> <laughs> no uh, Fuzzy, uh, you can find me. I'll be at booth 311. Um, just think of the band uh, for the next probably hour uh, before yeah. we jet off. Um, you can find me on all social medias at Fuzzy Joseph. Um, I'm Cecil Castellucci, obviously, and I'm uh, gonna. I'm just walking around, and I'm on two panels tomorrow, uh, which is one is like uh, rebooting uh, a franchise character, good or terrible idea, and um, uh, uh, so reinventing, uh, creating villains uh, for DC Comics uh, tomorrow, and then you can find me on um, Twitter at at Miss Cecil, um, or you can find me at CecilCastellucci.com. And I am at the Wannabe Press booth uh, in Small Press 10 at the end of row 100. If you like monsters and reimagining them, I literally have an entire line of books for you. I also have cards which have my Twitter and Facebook, email, and all sorts of good stuff on them. One, one thing really quick. If you're interested in writing books or comics or anything, Russell didn't plug it, but he has a whole bunch of things on Facebook and all yeah. sorts where he, he helps people learn how to do that. Mm -hmm. And just, I wouldn't have my books done if it wasn't for listening to Russell's podcasts. So um, shout out to you on that. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, it's all, that's all at. Thank you. Oh, that's so nice. So that's at the completecreative.com. has my podcast archives, my daily blog, and a whole bunch of stuff. And I have a panel at 8 to 9 in room 207, which is uh, Independent Comic Creator Summit hmm. at 8. All right. And uh, my name is Michael Tanner. You can find David and I at Artist Alley E46. Uh, where I'm hawking my graphic novel series, Junior Braves of the Apocalypse. You can find me on Twitter at MikeIsErnie at Twitter. Um, and if you liked this panel and you would like to see it again sometime, please tweet at WonderCon, tweet it out uh, so the people for the panel or for the con know that it was popular. Also, yeah. uh, I'd like to thank the Grand Geek Gathering for helping put together this panel. Uh, they are a great source for podcasts and comic reviews. Uh, so thank you for coming. Thank you again to my panelists. And we'll see you next time. Thank you thank for coming. Thank you all for being here, most of all. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this, if you liked listening to it, or if you went and you enjoyed it, please uh, give us a shout out and also please tag uh, WonderCon and Comic Con and tell them that you want to see this more. And we're going to try to bring this to more conventions as well, uh, probably possibly throughout the country. We have a lot of conventions that we're planning on going to for the rest of the year. So hopefully we're going to try to bring this one and others as well. 
I really hope you enjoyed listening to this. Thank you so much again. Once again, this is a partnership between Michael Tanner and myself. Michael Tanner, of course, is the co-writer of Junior Braves is the Apocalypse, which is available from Oni Press, available now in most bookstores or comic book shops. Well, you can request it. It's digital. You, you can get anywhere. And it is one of my favorite books. And you, we've had Michael on the show so many times, and he's amazing. His writing is amazing. And uh, just check it out. So please support Junior Braves the Apocalypse. Thanks for listening in. You can check out our other shows and offerings on any podcast service. Or you can go to our website, thegrankygathering.com, for more. Don't forget to check us out on social media, like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the other things. And please rate us on any of the uh, podcast services. That would be amazing. Thank you so much. Please reach out to us. You can contact us on our website. Come and join the gathering. Have a great week. We'll see you at the next con. And GGG.